Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Hi, hi. Today is August the 4th, 2021. We are in August officially. It is episode 291. Last week was 290. I did not call it that, but that's what it was. We are both back firmly in the soil of California um, after a brief, brief sojourn for Mike here. By the way, I am Matt and he is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. We are both in California, but yet still social distancing. We will fix yeah. that within, I don't know, two months, maybe. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, in the meantime, if you don't know what the Media Bow Podcast is, we are a podcast that talks about media, and that includes movies, television, video games, and music, but not necessarily in that order. Today, we'll do just that. We have stuff to talk about in all four categories, so hey, why don't we get rolling into that by starting, as we always do, with movies, and we always start movies, with the weekend box office numbers. And this week, Disney comes out on top again with their new release. The Rock's Jungle Cruise made $35 million domestically in its debut. It's as much Emily Blunt's film as it is Dwayne Johnson's. Sure, but he's the he's the star. He's yes. in the ads, first and foremost. But yes, you're not he is wrong. the skipper of said Jungle Cruise. <laughs> exactly. Captain of the boat. Uh, number two coming in right underneath that is M. Night Shyamalan's Old, another $6.8 million. That's sitting at $30 million domestic right now. Number three, The Green Knight with a $6.7 million de- debut. Number four, Black Widow with another $6.4 million. That's sitting at $167.1 million. I like little point one there for flair. Number five, Stillwater with $5 million. That's also a debut this week. In case you're wondering where some other familiar faces left off, F9 is down at number eight with another $2.6 million. So that's at $168.5. And way down at number 12, A Quiet Place Part Two with $0.6 million this week sitting at 158.7. So those three movies are on your, I guess, revenue watch. They're fairly close together. They're marked here because one, Black Widow officially passes A Quiet Place Part 2 this week, but also that it is $1.5 million away from passing F9 and thus becoming the highest grossing domestic box office winner which should do probably next week, by next week. Yes, but let's remind everyone that they will not be without competition next week for box office seats, as your big new release is the James Gunn-directed The Suicide Squad. You have to say the whole name, because otherwise it's that other movie that was also called Suicide Squad, and we don't want to remember that one. So... The Suicide Squad is the new release this weekend. It'll probably you don't do want okay. to go to a theater. You can watch on HBO Max. Right. Also available in home if you are an HBO Max subscriber. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how well that does if that challenges the rest of these films or if it's uh, or if it underperforms. We'll just have to wait and see. I still think Black Widow would hang on around number five at the minimum. Yeah. Four, maybe five. 
assuming everything drops down, but Green Knight's just going to drop completely to Stillwater. I still see it at number four. With another three million, it's going to pass F9. Perhaps. So It'll hit that 170 mark. Yeah, probably. But Black Widow is in the news this week for other uh, more controversial reasons than just its performance in the box office. In fact, its performance in the box office itself has actually ifed, miffed one of its stars. Yeah, probably your biggest movie story in the last week and a half about has been this. Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney, claiming that they broke its promise to release Black Widow only in theaters when it made it available for streaming on Disney Plus Premier Access. The complaint lists Disney wanting to generate revenue and grow subscribers to its streaming service while also devaluing Johansson's contract. Disney has fired back, calling the complaint sad and distressing in its callous regard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the pandemic, while also noting that they have fully complied with Johansson's contract as she already earned $20 million from the film. Her contract with Marvel guaranteed her a share of the box office receipts with specific financial targets based on revenue. And she would have made $50 million if the film topped a billion dollars in sales. So far, it's made about $318 million worldwide. But Johansson claims Disney surrendered hundreds of millions of dollars in theater ticket sales by releasing the film, streaming releasing the film, when it knew the theatrical or both, I guess, theatrical market was weak and by releasing it online. Unlike Disney, HBO Max settled out of court with its stars after films like Wonder Woman were released last year. So the conversation that this has started is an interesting one. You have people that are seeing what Disney is saying and being like, well, it's a changing marketplace. Uh, the studio did what they had to do because people just weren't comfortable or as comfortable as they will be in the future and have been in the past uh, going to do films. And so maybe what was written in the contract that was originally signed wasn't necessarily going to be something that they could rely on. If they chose to just put Black Widow in theaters only, there's a possibility that it would have done maybe the same that it did or possibly worse but certainly probably not better they don't know well we already have numbers though that it made 60 million in its first weekend on yeah. it on disney premier access mm -hmm. at 30 dollars a pop so that's at least 30 million ticket sales right there but again that's theoretic that's theoretical, right? Because right. that's assuming that every single one of those people that bought it Premier Access would have instead that same weekend gone to see it into a movie theater, which is not a fair assumption to make. The reason why I say it's not a fair assumption to make is because there are probably plenty of people who wouldn't have gone to a movie, even if there wasn't a pandemic, that liked the availability and comfort of watching it in their own home. They would have never considered buying tickets in that for to see that movie. It was the accessibility of having it on Premier Access that gave them the idea to see it in the first place. So that's why I don't think that's a fair argument. But the other side of this conversation has been very, and I know this is going to sound weird because Scarlett Johansson has had a public image problem over the last few years, but there are a lot of people who are arguing in her camp that she's maybe onto something here. 
because from an actor perspective, this is kind of a screw job. When you consider that the contract was written at a time where she assumed that this was going to be a theatrical release because there were no difference back, there was no difference back then, then it becomes an actor issue, right? In fact, it potentially even becomes an actor union issue. Because if the unions are coming, what they should have done is the union should be renegotiating these contracts as soon as they realized, oh, the studios are going to start messing around with the streaming co like streaming releases same weekend, right? So they should have been at the table with these studios and being like, hey, this isn't what we agreed to. Maybe let's rewrite some of this so that way we figure out a balance for our team that's not exclusively restricted to theatrical like box office numbers, but that didn't happen. And that's what Scarlett is saying here. So it's tough. I see both ends of this. Um, ultimately, I'm probably going to side with the actors here more because it sucks. Contracts can kick you in the butt when this kind of thing happens. If you don't foresee a huge sea change in how the studios do business, and that's exactly what we're seeing over the last year and a half. I mean, it, if you take the pandemic out of it, yes, it is possible that it would have hit a billion dollars. It would have opened with 160 million easily instead of where it's at right now after four weeks. But that's also not kind of the world that we live in. Yes, the movie was made in 2018, 2019 delayed, released, delayed, 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 released. <laughs> Disney did what they had to do in order to keep their schedule. Now, having seen the film and had it been out, didn't really need to come out when it did. It could have been <laughs> delayed. There's no point in it mm -hmm. being released when it did. And I think that's her argument that they did it in order to snub not just her, but kind of just the whole production team that it was seen as a throwaway movie at least for now, we see it as a throwaway movie. Don't know what future Marvel Disney holds with it. But for now, it seems as a throwaway movie that can have been, can and would have been placed at any point in the phase four timeline that they have for it. I see your point, which is this, this happening to this movie specifically makes it a more interesting case because they did have the more flexibility potentially than they would have had if say this was Guardians 3 or a big tentpole Avengers release or something different in their canon, right? This is something that's a little bit more malleable in that kind of category. But does that really change the narrative of actors outside of even in big tentpole releases being concerned that they're not getting their cut of these streaming revenue? I think no, that's a conversation. Yes, but, but you know what also is a business? Being an actor. Being an actor, yes. <laughs> like you have to stay in business. Actor and, and executive make... producer on the film. Part of being an actor and part of being, you know, part of an actor's union specifically is to make sure you're negotiating these contracts that's in the best interest of you, the actor. That this is a failure of that. Because like I said, there should have been communication between the studios when they were making these last minute not even last minute, these changes over the course of months, right? Like over the course of an entire year, because it was delayed a full 14 months. Yeah. Yeah. 14 months, 15 months. So 
So what I'm saying is that this is a failure of negotiation in a way, because, and I think this is maybe going to be a watershed moment for a lot of other actors, because they're going to be like, well, she's making a good point over here. Hey, Warner, for these news, this new slate of HBO Max like uh, releases, hey, you said you're going to toy around with this 45-day window, but what about after those 45 days? I want to make sure that I'm not getting, that my contract isn't specific in the language about the box office revenue for that that 45-day release. Let's talk streaming. When I was I mean, talking to a friend of the show. puts her in a very unique position because yeah. she has, oh, no, sorry, Disney has no leverage against her. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're going to say, oh, we're just going to recast you because <laughs> they already killed her off. Yeah, well, there, that's one thing here. But also, she's Scarlett Johansson. She's a huge name, and she's the star of this film. So you're right. They don't really have much to say here because all they can really do in the crutch they're using in this quote is, oh, well, the pandemic made me do it, which is not necessarily enough of an argument. I think Scarlett's making some salient points here, which pains me to say. Uh, so... I don't know. It's a complicated thing, it's, and, but I think that this is only the door opening. I think you're going to see this conversation continue as more actors realize we actually maybe do need to go back to the table on this. We need to think about what streaming revenue means. Uh, what I was going to say just a moment ago is that when I was talking to Christy about this, she mentioned that this reminded her of the writer's strike, mm-hmm. um, the 2008 writer's strike, because in similar ways, this is actors basically looking down the barrel of something that they never had to deal with before which is streaming revenue. They're looking at like, oh, this is a revenue pipe that the studios have never considered before and now are considering in a way that they that we didn't even think about when we were writing these contracts up for these huge franchise, you know, number of film deals that we made. And that's going to be a problem. And so if this maybe opens the door to more com- more conversation about that between these actors that are making these deals, then that's just a good thing for acting. Um, studios are probably just going to have to bite the bullet and give them some more money. I mean, how much more money can they give them when it's <laughs> know. the only like stream of revenue is from subscription? Yeah. Because we don't count uh, merchandising dollars in that. Right. No, that's separate. And maybe in a way, Disney foresaw that maybe some of this was going to happen. Maybe they got a tip off because remember that quote I keep bringing up about how they're going to move out of more multi-picture deals with actors. They're trying to get away from that model. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is part of the reason why. Maybe they see that like these giant contracts are just not something that's realistic in an era that we're in right now of constantly changing schedules. Maybe. Maybe, but Marvel does have a lot of stories to pull from. They don't have to stick with their big guns anymore, especially <laughs> post-Endgame. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be interesting going into this next era of Marvel films and see, or Disney films in general, because I'm sure this will affect Star Wars as well. Um, just how they're thinking about these franchises will change, and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. But we will see. We will see. All right, let's move on to our second story here, uh, which also has Disney ties, but is also about one of our prominent actresses, 
in the film Reese Witherspoon. Her production's company, Hello Sunshine, has been sold for just under $1 billion to a media company backed by the Blackstone Group Incorporated. Witherspoon, Witherspoon sorry, and Sarah Hardin, the CEO, will join the board of the new company and will continue to oversee day-to-day -day operations. They will also remain significant equity holders. The still unnamed media venture will be run by former Disney executives Kevin Meyer and Tom Staggs. The sale of Hello Sunshine could spark a fresh wave of acquisitions of content companies like A24, Imagine, Legendary, and Spring Hill Entertainment, which is LeBron James's joint. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. I saw news of this about three weeks ago that they were looking to be acquired, or at least put themselves out there to see who would place a bid in. Uh, Immediate Go Gear was Apple and for Apple TV because of Reese Witherspoon and the Good Morning uh, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Show. The Morning Show. I think morning it's show. called The Morning Show. Yeah. Uh, but she also has um, executive producing with uh, Big Little Lies for Warner and HBO. So the original article was like a big like who's going to get it? Who's going to get it? <laughs> Turns out unknown, well not really unknown, but venture capital fund. Yeah. The Blackstone Group. A mysterious firm. Mm -hmm. um, but if anything I've learned over watching similar deals to this over the last few years is that this can potentially be a good thing because if you have some company that's not necessarily a big public facing company that has a lot of money to flush into you, into your existing like group of people, that could be better than a big public facing company because you have a lot more creative control potentially about what this new thing becomes. Right, because it essentially becomes capital being injected into your own company. Mm -hmm. Even though it is being absorbed into this unnamed yeah. future entity, yeah. they're still allowed to do their own thing, their own creation, their own projects. They're just being backed by bigger venture capitalist companies. Yeah. whatever it may be called. So do you think that this really does open the door for these other kind of boutique uh, labels being picked up as well? Your A24s, your Imagines? Um, some of these are bigger than others. I'm actually kind of surprised to see Imagine a Legendary on here uh, because when you think of them, you think of them like they're making big blockbuster titles mm -hmm. in cooperation with your Warners and your Universals. But something like an A24, something like, I guess, LeBron James' own Spring Hill Entertainment, I could see this maybe enticing them to take a suitor. You're thinking more of like Annapurna. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, but Legendary was up for sale. Um, right, we talked before, about that. Which we talked about. Uh, who was it with? Legendary bought someone and kept Legendary name. But, yeah, nonetheless, I mean, huh? nonetheless, interesting though. Um, yeah. We'll see if that happens. But yeah, um, this puts a new bar out there, just under a billion dollars for a production company, even though it doesn't have a whole lot behind it. It has big names attached with it. So this is now the new benchmark that other companies will be beating their offers against. <laughs> yeah, and money and inflation just keeps growing. Yes. So, could LeBron James 
being worth a billion dollars in a production company. <laughs> oh no, Space, Space Jam. Jam, new le legacy. Anyway, speaking of which, did you watch any movies this week or are we still in the post uh, new legacy haze of movies are terrible and I never want to see another one again? Um, I did not watch a movie on a plane during my vacation. <laughs> so, no. I did Too not. much Switch? No, I thought about watching The Father. Academy, okay. Award, Academy Award winning The Father. <laughs> Almost. Didn't Almost. Know. Okay. Good to know. I did not watch any movies either, so. That means we can safely move on into television, and we always start the television section with the Sports Corner. As we did last week, we're going to separate the Olympic stuff into its own little news story. So let's talk about non-Olympic related sports news first. Well, we skipped sports news last week because it was basically just Olympics. So this is kind of a wrap up the past two weeks. So yeah, so what's been going on in the world of sports? Well, first up, baseball might not be over for 2021 quite yet, but baseball's 2022 season is already getting its schedule out. It will start on March 31st, 2022, and will run till October 1st. I got the little calendar emailed to me today, so I got to see that as well. Um, yep. Yeah. And it means for the first time in about seven years, the Angels are guaranteed to play in October. <laughs> <laughs> we kid because we love. Moving on, also in baseball, one of the big things we've been waiting for to happen finally happened. The Cleveland baseball team now have their brand new name. They will no longer be the Indians. They will now be the Guardians starting next season. So there you go, the Cleveland Guardians. Yep, this means that all Cleveland Indian stuff, if it's not already being removed from shelves, will be <laughs> severely discounted before yes. the end of the season. So... Um, I also guess that name, buy it now. I wouldn't recommend it, but if you want to, as a collector, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But then you have to keep it in pristine condition and never use it or wear it because otherwise it loses its value. I mean, so I've been told. I would, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing something with that guy on it. So probably safe. Yeah. Uh, um, but the name of the Guardians does indeed have roots in Cleveland with the bridge and the Guardian statues mm -hmm. and. Really fascinating uh, yeah. rabbit hole if you want to go down that. It's a neat name. It doesn't shout baseball, which is, I think, a lot of people, why the, the initial reaction was a lot like, a lot of people going like, what, what? Because I think I hear Guardians, and I think, what, are the M MLS team? Like, I think it doesn't arena sound... Yeah, <laughs> like arena football, yeah, or XFL, or yeah, or like, or soccer. I'm not really thinking like classic baseball when I think of Guardians. Also, people were making their make Groot the mascot jokes on Twitter, which yep. is, you know, you're going to get that because nerds. Um, and so, yeah, like, it's an okay name, though. It's kind of growing on me, I think. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how the Guardians do next season. It's not bad, but do note that the Cleveland, the city of Cleveland and baseball team have been working on a name for four years now, since 2017. <laughs> yeah. And people are now having their eyes squarely on the Washington football team. Right. Yeah, at least they're not the Cleveland baseball team, which could have happened. Right. So, hey, it could be worse. As we've uh, seen. As we've seen. All right, let's move on. Anyways, they're no Kraken. No, they're no Kraken, but who is, really? 
Next up, we move to the world of college football, or more accurately, the transition from high school football to college football, as Quinn Ewers, the top-ranked high school football player for 2022, is skipping his senior year to enroll early at The Ohio State. He's expected to make $1 million from endorsements next year, so get ready to see a lot of Quinn Ewers. So this is a compound story of something that <laughs> happened at the beginning of July, but we never really talked about it. It's that as of July 1st, NCAA players could sign endorsement deals mm-hmm. outside of the NCAA and get paid for their image and likeness. We didn't, we didn't really bring that up because it was news in Congress, it was fresh, and nothing really happened to it immediately. Like we didn't see these big deals being signed until here. Quinn Ewers, top rated athlete, um, not seen since Trevor Lawrence and Michael Vick has a high school athlete being rated, rated that high. Wow. So hmm. big things are expected from him. Technically, he could still start for <laughs> the Ohio State this year <laughs> as a redshirt freshman, although they do begin their spring camp like now. <laughs> uh-huh. So unlikely he's going to learn the whole offense in three weeks before their first game. Give him a break. But that being said, should he he is available the ohio state doesn't have a returning quarterback all three quarterbacks currently on the rosters that are under scholarship have not taken a snap so technically if you all look at it that way he is on par with those quarterbacks as also not taking an official college (laughs) snap either guess not but that being said he is he would have to compete against three um, college athletes who have been in the system for two years at least. Interesting, nonetheless. Uh, you don't see talent like that coming taught out of high school very often, as you said. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see uh, but, how he yeah, does. $1 million supposed endorsement. I mean, yeah, I'd skip high school to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's a lot of money, especially if you're 18. Jesus Christ. All right, let's move on. Um, As we all know, the basketball season has ended with quite splendid finals, according to basketball fans. And now we're uh, properly in the postseason, so deals are getting made. So wheeling and dealing is happening. First up, Carmelo Anthony has agreed to a one-year deal with the the Lakers. And the Lakers have also wanted to end up. Well, there you go. Then he got what he wanted. And the Lakers are also trade also traded three players to get Russell Westbrook, him of yeah. the car dealerships. Yes, and the triple doubles. Yes, delicious. That Russell Westbrook. Yum. So LeBron once again building super team. <laughs> yes, it will never stop until <laughs> they win. I guess. I mean, he didn't win this year. He got knocked out early. Yeah, so they don't want that to happen again. Apparently, no. Now we're then, paying LeBron Space Jam money. Yes, exactly. If you're keeping an eye on other basketball stars, you might have noticed that Chris Paul signed a $120 million four-year deal with the Suns. Now, this would be a big deal, you know, four years ago. (laughs) 
at the Burn. end of this deal, he will have he will be forty. That's how they, they signed him yeah. until he's aged forty. And with one hundred twenty million dollars, he would have made half a billion dollars in just basketball contract money by the end of that. Hmm. Assuming he stays healthy and gets the full right. the ultimate. Plus whatever like incentives and playoff bonuses that are built into it, but 140 million for four years guaranteed with the Suns. Maybe he'll retire after that. <laughs> maybe I don't know. He'll be 40 by then, so so maybe. So. Well, we'll see how what he does. And all right. Lastly, it's not yes. here, but we're gonna talk about it next week. Might as well tell you now. The <laughs> NFL Hall of Fame game. Mm-hmm. Is indeed this weekend. We will have NFL busts, not player busts, but actual player busts. Like <laughs> sure. Being enshrined into the uh, NFL Hall of Fame this weekend in Canton, Ohio. Two classes will be both the 2020 class and the 2021 class, including media boat favorite Peyton Manning being enshrined <laughs> into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Finally getting that gold jacket. Finally. Um, As for the actual Hall of Fame game this weekend, it's Steelers versus the Cowboys. Depending on where you live, both those teams suck to you. (laughs) Or they're the greatest things in sliced bread to you, depending on where you live. So your mileage may vary. (laughs) Your mileage will definitely vary. It's also (laughs) the first game of the technical first game of the season, even though it's an exhibition game. But this does mean that we will have nonstop football every week from this weekend until mid-February. So what do they say? Uh, football is back? Uh, football, football is, is back. back. <laughs> also means fantasy football is back. So I can't wait to hear you regale us with stories of your final, final your fantasy football. A final uh, fantasy football team. <laughs> honestly, I would watch that. <laughs> Just Sephiroth going long, just... No, Tyus is the one with the ball. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> or sorry, Waka, Waka has the ball. Yeah, Waka, Waka is the blitz ball player. Yeah, Waka is um, the blitz ball. Okay, anyway. Um, Anyways, I don't think those yes, skills uh, Get correlate. your rosters, get your drafts. Um, yes. Fantasy football, one month away. One month away. Away, away. All right. Anything else in sports before we move on? Why, yes, but not for us to talk about. Okay, well, fair enough. Let's move right on then into another kind of sports, which of course is the Olympics, which are continuing to happen as we speak. How is your Olympic watch going? I have got, I have watched exactly zero Olympics. <laughs> and that's not even because I'm like purposefully boycotting or anything. I just haven't had time. It's just I've been doing other stuff. And when I want to watch TV, I'm catching up on recorded television. So it's like, just hasn't happened. Um well, it's okay. I have consumed enough Olympic television <laughs> for the both of us. Fair enough. I have had the buffet <laughs> of Olympics. And when I looked up, I was finally thinking about like maybe I should watch some Olympics. I finally looked up and I was like, okay, when did the archer? When is the archery happening? I looked up and the archery's done. done. And I'm like, what? The f- I missed it. <laughs> so the one time I actually was like, I'm gonna sit down and watch some Olympics, it was over. And I was like, well, that's no fun. Well, here's so. the good thing with Peacock, not, not sponsored. Yes, you could watch all highlights. Well, not sponsored. 
But if you did watch some Olympics, or if you didn't, here's a breakdown of the things you missed and or saw. First up, the biggest story, of course, after um, not participating in the team event, Simone Biles did come back to the Olympics and got bronze in the balance beam. So congratulations to Simone. Yep, uh, that adds to the team medal that she got. So two medals yeah. at the Tokyo game. She's not officially retiring, so we no. could see her in Paris. We will see. But that's also four years away. Yes, yeah, so Technically anything could happen. Anything, eh, yeah, but anything could happen. Someone brought up an interesting point on something I was listening to, where they were like, hey, by the way, we're eight months away from the Winter Olympics. Yep. And I was like, oh, that's right. Really brings everything into perspective when you think of it in months. Yeah, but that's also going to be in China, where right. there's stuff currently going on politically-wise that yeah. you shouldn't be supporting. Uh, you know what? You could say that about a lot of Olympics, and yet they happen anyway, so we'll see. Um, anyway, also Anyways, uh, in Olympic news. Yeah, so the following lists are the records yes. that have been broken, or at least been set. New records yes. have been set at the Olympics. Let's talk about the new records. First up, Karsten Warholm from Norway set the 400-meter hurdles record, 45.94 seconds. Just to put that into perspective, um, I saw this on Twitter that the time for the 400 non-hurdles, just the 400 um, meter qualifying time, was 45 seconds, which means that he, as hurdling, Mm -hmm. running over obstacles, was faster than 17 other Olympians who competed. (laughs) That's fast. Yeah. Nice. We also saw Sydney McLaughlin from the USA set 400 meter hurdles record of 51.46 seconds. Very nice. Um, she Still was not good. the favorite, but hey, she got gold. There you go. Yulimar Rojas from Venezuela set the triple jump record 51 feet and four inches. Holy shit. (laughs) Just even thinking about 54 feet to triple jump is incredible. Yeah. um, They're crazy. (laughs) It's not that crazy when you put it in the meters like the rest of the world. Sure, but eh, who needs them? (laughs) Who needs meters? I mean, it it ends up being like 22 meters, I think. Yeah. But 51 feet. Still, still good. Next up, Caleb Dressel, also from the USA, set the 100-meter butterfly record of 49.45 seconds. Hey, wait a minute. That number sounds kind of familiar. Yes. <laughs> but also, butterfly should sound familiar because that beats Phelps' record. Right. So congratulations, so, Caleb Dressel. Suck it, old man Michael Phelps now. <laughs> the Australian. Yeah, right? The U.S. men's team, that would be the U.S. men's swimming team, to be specific, set the 4 by 100 medley record of 3 minutes, 26 seconds, uh, point 70, or 78, bleh, 3 minutes, 26.78 seconds. Not bad. Yeah, that is fast. That's fast. Meanwhile, Great Britain mixed, I guess they're mixed, the mixed four. Uh, this is the mixed 4 by 100 yeah, mixed 4 100 medley on the record. Track. Okay. 
of three minutes, 37.58 seconds. So, so yeah. just slower than the men's. Slightly. Just slightly. Australia's women's swimming team set the 4 by 100 meter relay team record for 3 minutes, 29.69 seconds. Nice. Nice. And as your bird's eye overall view, China leads the gold medal count with 32, with also with 70 total medals. The USA leads all medals with 79 total and 25 being gold. And the home team, Japan, is in third with 21 gold medals and 40 total. All right, you're going to have to explain this last one. This oh, last bit did you not Olympics. see this thing? No. Oh, it put us on the map. <laughs> we're, on the, we're in the news. We are it looks in like. the news. All right, what did we do? So, media boat. <laughs> A media boat. A Okay. A media boat, not our media boat. <laughs> no, no, no. Our media boat is safely docked. It doesn't go anywhere yes, unless our media we boat it. is docked here in California. <laughs> it's safely docked. It is not interrupting anything. However, a unaffiliated media boat ended up blocking because it was getting shots of the contestants. The start of the triathlon. Oh, so no. the start of the triathlon is diving into the water to swim. Sure. Uh, five miles or whatever it is. I think it's a, a hundred, a thousand meters or whatever. But as the boat like is panning over all the audiences or all, all the contestants, the starter hits the gun <laughs> while the boat is still blocking half the field. But oh, half no. the field dives in and the other half is going like, there's a boat in front of us. Yeah. can't do anything. Yeah. The boat tries to steer away, mm-hmm. but like not fast enough to where they have to yeah. stop the race, bring everyone back, and then restart it. But as we all know, media boats are not known for their speed. <laughs> they take their sweet ass time. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, I'm glad to see media boat representation out there, but man, they're making us look bad. Come on, media boat. To be fair, I did have some people <laughs> reach out saying, hey, is this you? <laughs> It's like, we are not responsible for the actions of any media boats. Unaffiliated with yeah. the Media Boat podcast. Right. That being said, if you're at all curious of where the, we got Media Boat from. <laughs> it's a media boat. Media boat. <laughs> boat full of media. Boat full of them. Full, just full of it. Just full of something. All right. Anything else in Olympic bits before we move on to the rest of television news here? Uh, congratulations to Japan yet again for winning the skating skateboard competition. Cool. You guys are killing it, but then again, you're also putting 12-year-olds out there. Well, yeah, you know. Anyway. All right, let's move on on that note <laughs> to our second story in television news this week, where we get to talk about uh, another nerdy favorite, I guess you could say. Doctor Who. Um, so... Doctor. Not... The doctor we always talk about. No, no, like but the doctor, the doctor uh, that that people know about, you know, Tardises and timey wimey, you know, the shit. Um, so as the series has always done, or at least in its modern incarnation, is kind of known for doing, is kind of a revolving door of talent. The doctor is never there for that long, and sure enough, that's the case today. 
Jodie Whittaker, the current doctor, will be stepping down as the doctor after the third season of her current run with current showrunner Chris Shibnall. Whittaker joined the series back in 2017 to become the 13th doctor and the first woman to play the role. The both of them are set to exit the series after a trio of Doctor Who specials, which will culminate in what the BBC is describing as a, quote, epic blockbuster special that will air in fall 2022 as part of the broadcaster's centenary celebrations. Yes, that's right. A hundred years of the BBC. Whitaker has also been suspected of leaving the show with her predecessors, David Tennant and Matt Smith, also having completed just three seasons each. Quote, Jody and I made a three-series and out-packed with each other at the start of this once-in-a-lifetime blast. So now our shift is done, and we're handing back the TARDIS keys, says Chibnall, who is exiting alongside pro executive producer Matt Strivens. So, I mean, everybody could have seen this coming. I mean, the Doctor's never there for too long. Uh, three seasons is, seems to be the standard now. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to see uh, her go. And usually... You do see these pairings, at least from what I understand, of showrunner and talent uh, and lead doctor. So that way, when a new doctor comes in, it's a different tone. It's a different kind of show. They like to reset the, the, the field, if you will, whenever a new doctor enters the show. So this makes sense. Also, whenever they, I mean, yeah, that's basically it. New showrunner, new yeah. doctor. Yeah. Now, new vibe. the hunt is on yeah. for the new doctor. All right, well, they did a woman. What's next? Um, I would like to see a person of color. That might be something they could do here. Uh, I, yes, but I also see them just going straight back to white guy. bland white British guy. <laughs> there are a lot of them in, in uh, Great Britain, from what I understand. They just got a factory to turn them out, churning them out. So, right, but you also have to find a good companion for the doctor as well. Yep. Because what is the doctor without saving someone? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I've never been a Doctor Who person, but I'm always interested in the choices that they make because there are a lot of people who care very deeply about this franchise and that and where it goes. So, uh, I yeah, mean, it'll be interesting. Before Jodie Whittaker, they did uh, Peter Capaldi, who was an right. older version of the Doctor. Right, and that was an interesting take. So, we'll see what they do. Alrighty, that'll do it for television news. I understand we have some thoughts. Uh, let's open this segment by talking about what I started to talk about last week, but you were like, no, 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 we have to wait until I watch it too. Which, of yes. course, is the reigning media boat favorite television show of 2020, Ted Lasso. future Emmy Award winning show, <laughs> yes. Ted Lasso. Most, most likely. All right, so I am up to date. I have watched both of the current two episodes currently available on Apple TV. Are you also up to date on I'm both of them? I'm also caught up. All right, so what'd you think? It picks up right where it left off. It really it does. It did not skip a beat. No. And it brings back all your favorite characters. <laughs> you thought they were gone, but nope, they pulled nope. right back in. Everybody. Everybody. That's, um, I mean, I didn't foresee it because i didn't watch episode one but kind of called it especially yeah. at the end there yeah it makes sense that made sense that yeah they're gonna wait to bring everyone back for episode two and then set up what's going to be the full season although yeah i did really love that opening it was pretty <laughs> hilarious yeah well, if at least a bit morbid <laughs> yeah no um 
I think, yeah, season two, like I said last week, is just coming in immediately with all the things that was so great about season one. Just the amazing writing, the likability of the characters. Everybody is likable, even the characters that are their whole personality, their whole thing is supposed to be they're acerbic and kind of hard to deal with. Even they're likable. You get to see kind of behind the scenes enough with so many of these characters. You get to see them as fully like formed people. And so it just makes them immediately just the whole show just feel like a comfy blanket that you're comf- like that you're just fitting yourself back into. Um, and yeah, the joke writing's still stellar. Uh, Jason Sudeikis is still just like amazing in the role. I just don't know how he does it. He just taps into like this, I don't know, this just supernatural ability to just be the most charming person that you've ever seen. But also with the deep, like other side of being like oh actually maybe there's something horribly wrong going on in that brain that needs to be uncapped that just that potential of knowing that that's the case is just yeah it makes him just a fascinating character yep and i like the new introduction of the um, mental health doctor yes yes the 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 team therapist the sports therapy uh doctor is fascinating because it does like put a little bit of a wrench in in Ted's whole thing because it's like it makes him where I think they're going here is it's probably going to make him confront a lot of these things that he's been dealing with kind of inside that he has not quite unleashed and I think the big one is going to be the separation from his family because Mm -hmm. they bring it up a little bit in the first season but then you have to realize that he's still in England he's still separated from them yeah and you you think of him like with his charm and like st- stammer, not stammer <laughs> but vernacular yeah. that he's the the southern charm kind of guy, like wholesome guy. But he left his family back home. Yeah, it has to be hard and it has to be wearing on him. And I think we're going to slowly unpeel that back over the course of the season. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about see where it goes. Um, and it's, yeah, it's everything that we liked from the first time, just double down on. And I can't imagine them dropping the ball here. I think that it's going to be just as good, if not better. And to look at a show that was already great and think that it could be better is very exciting. <laughs> yep. So easily put Ted Lasso back <laughs> on our map. Yeah. We'll talk about it probably more at the end of, of the year. Oh yeah. For sure. There are two shows that are currently battling it out for my top spot so far this year. And Ted Lasso is one of them. And they're both season two. So it'll be really interesting to see where I land by the end of both of those. Uh, But yeah, it's uh, just a, man, just such a good show. Continues to be such a good show. Jason Sudeikis continues to ride that wave of Ted Lasso. Yes. All right. I didn't realize that I had a sports segue I could have used here, but uh, I'll burn it now. You watch something involving somebody who is uh, known for covering sports. This is a new show. It's also a monthly show. Um, also, don't foresee me actually watching this. Oh, okay. It's a little curveball there, but okay. Not in so necessarily a bad way, but more in... It's variety in its pure aspect form. Oh, no. So, back on the record with Bob Costas. What I thought was <laughs> going to be him interviewing, like, these old right. retired athletes who 
want to go back on the record and like set it straight in their in yeah. their own words. Yeah, not well, knowing interviews. Yeah, that's why the David Letterman yeah. needs no inter- introduction kind of. Yeah. Not knowing what this was, just reading the name, that's what I thought it was going to be. It was going to be like, oh, it's like real sports, except got, if, except specifically about, hey, what happened to so-and-so? Right. That's what I yeah. thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's not. And I'm disappointed. <laughs> okay. It opens like that with him interviewing <laughs> Charles Barkley about it, about like how he feels like NBA players are treated now versus when they were how social media has changed everything, how he's pivoted from the guy to like the guy, the basketball star to the basketball analysis mm-hmm. and how like his demeanor through social media and cancel culture has progressed. And it was really fascinating for like those 20 minutes. <laughs> I wanted more of it. And then what happened? And then it pivoted. Uh-huh. to a second segment which was a more or round table discussion of current sports topics of what's uh-huh. going on, mainly with like the olympics and covid and athletes not getting vaccinated and the privilege it is to play sports talking to former sports athletes and dealing with current day topics but then it's not done because then again pivots yet again. Oh no. To a different one-on-one interview, this time with Ali Raisman of the gymnastics mm-hmm. and of USA Gymnastics and her fight with USA Gymnastics, with her fight um, with the whole Nor- Norman, whatever the trainer guy's name was. Yeah, I forget, but yeah. It's best I forget his name. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but that whole aspect is also whatever Simone Biles was going through and kind of getting the ask that take on it mm-hmm. but the whole time I'm watching this I'm thinking Bob Costas shouldn't you be more prepared than what you're giving me here <laughs> not that he was like underprepared but more like it was tabletop stuff and I wanted to get like the deep stuff that yeah. you think like back on the record and the name you would think implies, yeah. Implies that you want to either put your stake back on there, put your words back on there, but it also felt like it's part we need to talk about today's topics in order to make the show still yeah. relevant as it moves forward. Mm-hmm. And I felt disappointed by it. Yeah, it almost sounds like it's two different shows. It's two pitches, right? The pitch that the name implies is in that first 20 minutes, like you said. And to a lesser extent, the the last bit, because you could still have a name like that and be like, well, this is still a show about having these interviews like be on the record about like what's going on, both past and present. Still an interesting premise, right? But then like you're saying, it's like the Oreo cookie in the middle, they've sandwiched the panel like sports center thing in the middle of it and like i guess you're saying that it feels like doesn't fit i feel like if this was more like david letterman's need no introduction show Mm -hmm. i would be more fascinated by it especially if Mm -hmm. you show unseen clips like unheard interviews or even like you get 
some sound bites that you want more clarification on or more insight into like great sports moments. Mm-hmm. That I think would have been a better show. Then again, you don't necessarily need Bob Costas for that kind of right. thing. So what is this on? HBO. Weird. Because I was thinking this would be any literally anywhere else because doesn't this have a lot of crossover with real sports? It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't because real sports is segments mm-hmm. that deep dive into sports slash not mainstream sports. Sure. But like sports tangent and other sports that people perform in. Which is still great, by the way. If you're not watching real sports this year, oh god, you're missing out. But at the same time, does Bob Costas actually need to be here? Yeah, you're saying he's not putting in the Bob Costas style work in order to feel like he's deserved the title here. I mean, you tune in because it is Bob Costas. He's a great interviewer. He's a great announcer. Mm. We love Bob Costas, pink eye and all. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like oh that's his legacy now that was like one time <laughs> yeah it brings it up too that that's why he now hates the olympics won't do it again <laughs> so everybody thinks about the pink eye yeah yeah they gave, they gave him pink eye so he won't do the olympics anymore but then <laughs> we've got my Rico doing it now so well well, okay. Well, so not exactly what you want it to be, uh, but it exists, and at least there's something interesting to it. It exists. There can be interesting stuff. Like I said, it's not a weekly thing. It's a monthly thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe episode two next month, they'll fine-tune what episode <laughs> one felt like a cur- uh, it's, mishmash of stuff. It's Almost possible. a train wreck, but it's yeah. definitely a mishmash. Yeah. Alrighty. Anything else before we move on? I have one real brief thing to talk about. Uh, uh, let's talk about it then, because like I said, I was okay. out. I didn't yeah. watch a whole lot of television, but I was able to watch those two things. I watched something new on the HBO Max as well uh, of the animated variety. Um, and this is something you could fully slot in the who is this for category. So HBO Max has been doing an effort of basically revitalizing a lot of their older properties animation-wise. We talked about the new Looney Tunes cartoons uh, about last year uh, when those premiered. The season two of those are actually up. I haven't delved into that yet, but I imagine that they're pretty similar in tone to that first season that we got. Um, Well, somebody over there decided that they wanted to do a similar approach with the Hanna-Barbera characters. Because while they still have the IP for it, they still own those. People still, I guess, care about them. And that, I guess, is where this show's existence is baffling to me. How many people do you think, under the age of 35, let's say, care about Yogi Bear as a category, as a character? Not a whole lot. And no. even fewer will make the connection between Yogi Bear and Yogi Berra. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so Jellystone is an attempt to put all these Hanna-Barbera characters from these 60s, 70s television shows um, and recontextualize them as modern cartoon characters in like a gag-driven show. Um, and 
the result is not terrible, but like I said, baffling. Um, so like I said, the one thing going into this you need to know is this is 100% a gag-driven show. This is There's literally zero attempt to make any sort of overarching like world building, lore, none of that. Just throw all of that modern, when we think of a modern animated series, throw all that out the window. This is very much something that could have existed. Yeah, exactly, right out that window. This is something that could have existed in I think the um, Cartoon Network era that had Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, when they were basically just making, hey, let's just make Hanna-Barbera cartoons except with our new original characters. That's what they're doing here except with the actual Hanna-Barbera characters. Um, and that works in a way because it does make it novel in an era where we're getting so much story-heavy, narrative-heavy things in the same way that the Looney Tunes cartoons work is it's kind of a throwback in that way. Except tonally, it's not. Tonally, it's very much a modern version of that kind of idea. Uh, the jokes are a little bit more rapid fire. The jokes are a little bit... I don't want to say adult because they're very aiming towards like right in the middle of the de of the demographic here. There are some more kid friendly stuff and there's some more like winks and nods to the adults that are watching with the kids. So it ends up kind of being that like middle miasma, like a lot of that Cartoon Network stuff was in like the 90s. Um, it almost feels like an adult swim pitch that had all the edges sound sanded down. Where it feels like this could have, there could have been a version of this show that went all the way in that kind of ro robot chicken esque satire direction, because they have so much material with all these old properties that they could have riffed on in that way, but they choose not to do that, and so it brings it more toward the middle into just to a tamer version of what that could have been. And you know what? It's all right. I watched four episodes of this it's a classic 22 with two 11 minute segments um and it's better probably than i expected it to be and i think it's better than it could could have been um some of the gags work i think having it based in at least limited knowledge of these characters um works in its favor because you know the blueprints essentially you know okay yogi bear he's not the smartest bear he's usually gonna be like making stupid decisions and so they lean heavy into that they but cast harder than your average bear yes and yet no is kind of his old character right right and so they put him as in in this universe he is a doctor inexplicably and boo boo is a nurse so you get kind of the 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 the, the angle they're taking here which is let's take these characters let's put them in a like a town living with each other and let's give them roles and so you have like, you know, other familiar characters pop up for every once in a while, like, you know, your El Kabongs, your Grape Apes, your Megilla Gorillas, um, a smattering. You, of course, don't have the most famous of these characters, your Flintstones and your Jetsons, although they are bleakly referenced. They exist somewhere in the universe, but they're not in this town <laughs> um, because I guess they're too, they're too high up there in the, the lineage. Uh, to be made fun of in this way, I guess. But you do get a surprisingly wide swath of characters. You get Jabberjaw, which I haven't thought about Jabberjaw in a long, long time, except Recast is now uh, female. Um, but beyond that, they're not really doing too much. They're not playing around with the characters in that kind of broader way. It's more like small ways. 
So it's like they'll give them these specific professions and then just kind of unleash them to wreak havoc. A lot of the humor comes from the fact that they're the entire town will just destroy itself by the end of every episode, that kind of thing. It has a little bit of SpongeBob DNA in it, I feel, um, combined with that kind of Cartoon Network ethos. And I think, yeah, for the most part, it works. It's a weird thing. Um, and I'm not sure why they made it, but they must have enough creative people at the studio that believe enough in those classic characters that they wanted to do something new and fun with them. Is it an absolute must watch? Absolutely not. It's kind of television. Uh, it's television cotton candy. You know, it's not something that's going to stick with you. It's uh, fun while it lasts. And I think there's some unique, interesting gags in there. But do you actually absolutely need to get HBO Max for this? No. But hey, it's better than it could have been. And it's an interesting thing. And maybe by the end of the season, um, maybe I'll have more like specific thoughts about it. But as it is, it sounds like a thing that probably shouldn't have existed. And I don't know why it exists, but at least it's fun. At least there's funny moments and it's not a horrible, it's not as bad as it could have been. I like to think this is one of those things that the studio has to make in order to retain the IP on it. <laughs> yeah, but in the same way they recently did uh, the Scooby Doo and Curse Cowardly Dog mashup. Yeah, it's possible. Scoob was because I felt like it yeah. sounds like what Scoob is. But but the difference is is that Scoob is Scoob is more cynical to me because Scoob, Scoob is a, an attempt to launch basically a Hanna Barbera cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. This is not that. This is not even attempting. This does not have any highfalutin multiverse style goals. This is literally just, hey, we have some creatives on uh, uh, in our studio that have always wanted to make a gag show with these characters they grew up watching. Let's let them do it. This is literally all that is. The stakes are very low here. Okay. There's no cynical, you know, big brain version of this pitch. It is literally just what it is. It is literally just hey, it's a fun gag show about the Hanna-Barbera characters that we can still use. So, yeah, it exists. It's weird, it exists. but it's all right. It's not bad. I was I enjoyed some, most of my time with it. So, there you go. All right, sounds good. Um, real quickly, you talked about it last week, and I did end up watching it. Okay. Schmigadoon. Yeah, how'd you feel about that pilot? It's a... Sh- well, I ended up watching four episodes of it. Okay. Because, You're further than I am. Then I stopped. Well, it. Uh, okay, I'll put watching. Yeah, sure. In quotes there, because I was also doing some Pokemon Unite while I was doing that. <laughs> we'll get there. But it did feel like a really good combo, <laughs> to where I didn't really need to pay attention. Right. And then whenever they got to sing, it's like, okay, tell me what I missed. Right. But also tell me where this is going. But I think that that is also its biggest flaw. In that there's a lot of musical numbers in each episode. <laughs> yeah. But also for the life of me, I can't tell you a single one of them. No. They're very passable, but not memorable. Yeah. And that's the problem with, with Schmigadoon, is that it's yeah. not memorable music numbers. They're riffing on actual musicals, which is fun when you realize, oh, <laughs> it's a riff on this, or it's a this, riff on yeah. this. That makes it fun. But the actual musical numbers are very forgettable. Mm-hmm. You can't remember the lyrics. It's just a fun mock at it. And I think that is a knock against it. Rather yeah, than I've, on it. 
I think an interesting comparison that didn't come up last week, but I think you actually reminded me of would be a good com- uh, comparison to make is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, because that is a show that also had musical numbers in every episode, but extremely memorable ones that were the thing that was the hook for this show. I think if this was a show that had good enough music in it, maybe that would be enough of a hook to keep people going on it. And my worry, as you're saying here, is that without the strength of the music, they're kind of just there. And so the entire premise is a little less strong. Right, especially when you have, you know, one of your main characters, King Michael Key, expressly refusing (laughs) to sing. Mm, Yeah, I could understand that being a problem going forward. (laughs) Which will be the problem and I would believe the solution to the series. Yeah. Are you going to stick around though? Uh, what do you think? Uh, once it's all completed, I'm not going to watch it every week. Yeah, but I don't definitely know. bingeable, but micro binging. <laughs> yes. Where you have to be doing something else. Uh-huh. And it just ends up being background noise where you can look up every now and then. Yeah, I don't know. I, I watched it a second time with Christy and it didn't. Yeah. She, I think, enjoyed it more than I did. I think she's going to go and finish it, but um, I. I just don't. I don't think it was worthwhile. Expected to win some production value, maybe. Maybe big uh, maybe on that one. Big maybe, maybe. I don't know. Even that. Even that kind of. I was like, yeah, I guess they made it look like a musical, kind of. But that's as far as it goes. Yeah. All right. Let's move on out of thoughts, and into cancellations and renewals. All right. What am I no longer watching? Well, uh, I got bad news for you. You're watching more stuff because there's no cancellations, but a whole lot of renewals this week. First up, Netflix is bringing back Sweet Tooth for a second season, so that exists and continues to exist. You know what Sweet Tooth is? I remember that when it was announced, a lot of people got confused and thought they were making a um, Twisted Metal uh, Netflix show, only to find out it has nothing to do with that Sweet Tooth. Yep, it's about people who have animal parts attached to them. That's super weird. Moving on. <laughs> uh, TNT is bringing back the television show Snowpiercer for a fourth season. Uh, ahead of its third season. Okay. Hulu is bringing back Love, Victor for a third season. That's Love, comma, Victor. Yes, Love, comma, Victor. Showtime is bringing back The Shy for a fifth season. Disney Plus is bringing back Mighty Ducks colon Game Changers for a second season. I like the first one. Yeah. Well, and enjoyed. I enjoyed the first one. Yes. And just today, Adult Swim is an, has announced that Tuca and Birdie will indeed be getting a third season. And they also added into that story that apparently season two is uh, doing really well for them. Uh, turns out that they're getting demographics that maybe were lacking in Adult Swim's history, uh, thanks to the show. A lot more uh, teens and a lot more women uh, apparently are watching Adult Swim, thanks to Tuca and Birdie. And I'm like, hey, working as in plot in, as uh, as intended. So great. So when you don't put a show behind a paywall, <laughs> turns, turns out, out the viewers people will watch it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then we have one death uh, to talk about real briefly here. Um, Thea White age 81, a voice actress, you mentioned Courage uh, just a moment ago, on Cartoon Network's Courage the Cowardly Dog. Uh, she was Muriel on Courage the Cowardly Dog. 
So even back when that show, she was cast to play an old woman. So not super uh, surprising here, but yes, uh, definitely sad. I'm sure a lot of, a generation grew up listening to her. So yeah. Yes. All right, let's move right on. And I toss this over to you as we start to talk about music. And we'll start music with the billboard and we start the billboard with the Hot 100. And it is super hot again, mud like butter. Because butter by BTS is once again your number one song this week. Not to be outdone, at number two, trying to get that number one slot, is Industry Baby by Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow. Yes, uh, with the um, scandalous video to attach to it, uh, made a lot of waves, so not surprising to see it here. Yeah, you know, that thing being passed around said, hey, you need to watch this. Mm-hmm. And yet you keep going, what is this? It's <laughs> Lil Nas X. And like, oh, Okay, just I get it now. An example of how much of a just genius troll the man can be. I don't know if you saw this, but he had posted under his account on YouTube a video titled uh, "Industry Baby Video Uncensored." Because if you've seen the video, you know that there is a sequence, an entire sequence where um, a bunch of naked guys in prison are in sh- in the prison showers, and it is edited so you do not see the whole picture um so the prospect of an uncensored version of the video probably made a lot of people very excited and um what happens if you watch this video is right before the shower segment starts an animation of buffering is shown but the song continues so the video is not actually buffering and it just stays on the buffering for the duration of the rest of the song just genius level troll. Um, so congratulations to the little Nas X. <laughs> uh, I forget what I was watching, but there was a line about like waiting for something to happen. Yeah. And then my internet kind of started buffering. I was like, <laughs> wait, is this the joke? Right. Is this the joke? Or like my internet just like slowly go out. It's sad that we have to think about that now. It was just like, oh, is this the part of it? Like... <laughs> but hey, sometimes it gets you. Sometimes it gets you. Uh, speaking of sometimes it gets you, at number three, Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. Still there. Sometimes it just gets you. <laughs> um, by the way, I have heard the song Traitor by Olivia mm-hmm. Rodrigo being patched around on TikTok. Won't be surprised if I see that coming up here soon. Yeah. Uh, at number four, Stay by The Kid Lori and <laughs> Justin Bieber. The Kid Leroy. Lori. Leroy. Lori. Sure. No, Le- Le- <laughs> yes, the kid, the king. The, the kid, Lawa. <laughs> and rounding out your top five, Levitating by Dua Lipa, featuring the baby, who we will duh talk about because <sighs> duh, um. <laughs> Good one. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to talk about the Billboard 200, our albums chart. Indeed. And first up, at number one, your hottest album right now is indeed the Kid Leroy with <laughs> here's our censored Fuck Love. Explicit tag. Fuck Love. Explicit tag. Congratulations, the Kid Leroy. Lori, Leroy. <laughs> Enjoy your number one seed because <laughs> you will not have it next week. Because <laughs> that's going to Billie Eilish and we'll talk about her later. Yes, we, yes, we will. At number two, Sour 
by Olivia Rodrigo. Stick it around at number two, never number one. At number three, Planet Her by Doja Cat, because of course. But then again, at number four, Dangerous, colon, the double album by Morgan Wallen, because of course. Because of course. And rounding out your top five is Faith by Pop Smoke. Yep. But if you don't like any of those, or if you want to knock some of them off, we have new releases. We do. And we start with Release Me 2 by Barbara Streisand. Yes, that yes, Barbara Streisand. The singer from A Star is Born. <laughs> not that A Star not the, is Born. Not the one you're thinking of, <laughs> but still A Star is Born, Barbara Streisand. <laughs> from that Duck Sauce song. <laughs> Barbara Streisand. Uh, we also have <laughs> Famous Friends by Chris Young because he's got mm-hmm. some famous friends. You probably never heard of them. Okay. I will definitely be listening to this album. Yeah. We'll report yeah. back next week. I'll be back next week talking about Chris <laughs> Young. Uh, the Doctor will be happy to hear a new Chris Young album. All right. And I know just the point in time we're going to listen to it. Oh. Uh, going up to SB this weekend. So it's Fiesta in SB. Ooh, Fiesta. So, yep. So Chris Young is going to be the only thing on during <laughs> that drive. There you go. Oh, I'm going to dread that drive. <laughs> uh, we also have The Apple Drop by Liars. Mm-hmm. Don't call me liars. That's what they call themselves. Yes, those liars. And lastly, your possible top five album. Eh, we'll see. We'll see. King's Disease 2 by Nas. Yes. Not to be confused with Lil Nas X. <laughs> different. It's the it's the original original yes, brand original rapper original Nas. flavor Nas. Yep. Speaking of original flavors, <laughs> the baby. Yeah. We brought, we brought him up. Um, barely hanging on the top five there as a feature um, on Dua Lipa's Levitating, but maybe not for long. Well, we talked about this. The setup was uh, for this story is from last week. I don't know we talked about this last week yes. with his comments, but apparently there's more fallout because the mm-hmm. baby has been dropped from two more music festivals, despite issuing a second <laughs> apology on Monday for his homophobic comments that he made, and after his performance at the Rolling Loud Miami Festival on the weekend of July 23rd. Reps for the iHeartRadio Music Festival and the Austin City Limits Festival confirmed that he will no longer be performing at their events. Uh, quote, the baby will no longer be performing at the iHeartRadio Music Festival daytime stage, and quote, the baby will no longer be performing at Austin City Limits Music Festival. Lineup update is coming soon, the statement read. His performance at Lollapalooza Governor's Ball, and Day in Vegas Festival were also all canceled on Sunday <laughs> and Monday. That's what I was going to bring up yeah. when I paused, because mm-hmm. like, wait, he also got canceled at Lollapalooza. Yep. Well, wait, no, it's down here at the bottom of the story. So yeah, basically anything that DaBaby was going to perform at for the rest of the year, he just basically just dropped, dropped, dropped from all of it. Um, 
so yeah, as much as he wants to try apologizing, he still said what he said, and he said it in front of everybody, and then made a comment basically not really apologizing for it first, and then had to follow up with a, I guess, more legitimate apology. But the damage is done, and these giant companies that run these festivals, they're too big to have a PR disaster on the scale of inviting the baby to be there. So it's not super surprising that they're like, yeah, we don't need them. We got these other, we got a whole roster of other artists that don't have awful quotes that are being passed around in the press right now. So uh, we don't need you to baby. No, we got other babies to they got, worry about. Yeah, they got a uh, little baby. Yep. He's still around. Little baby's still around here. <laughs> little baby. Little baby. Anyway. Anyway. So, yeah. um, if he's anything like the Morgan Wallen story, <laughs> I'm sure we'll see him back, though. Oh, boy. Yeah, I saw a headline today when I was gathering news. I was like, oh, great. He's on stage with Luke Bryan, like, being all buddy-buddy already. And it's like, come on, guys. What are you going to do? We already shamed him last October. (laughs) And yet again. Yeah. But yet here he still is. Here he still is. I kind of don't want to listen to it, but it's getting hard to like say, hey, it's been up there for so long. Can't escape. Alright, well. In other getting cancelled news, <laughs> the offspring are in uh, well, I guess the better answer is speaking of the baby, the offspring yeah. are also in the news. Yeah, babies and offspring. We're on brand today. We have a theme going. Yep. Well, Pete Parada, the drummer for the app Offspring, has found out the hard way that some businesses, even bands, are drawing a hard line on requiring vaccinations to come back to work. Meaning Pete Parada is now the former drummer for the Offspring. (laughs) Yes. As he posted on social media yesterday that he's been ousted from the group because he won't agree to get the COVID vaccine. Beyond being replaced on an upcoming tour, Parada says he's been told not to show up at the studio either, even though he claims to have a legitimate medical reason for not getting the shot. It's not entirely clear from Parada's posts whether he's been fired from the group permanently or just been put on hiatus. But comments about working on non-band projects and, quote, finding a new way forward suggests he doesn't foresee coming back to the fold. You have to, you have to keep them separated, turns out. And it turns out um, <laughs> six feet is not enough for Pete Parada <laughs> to obey by. So they're putting a 200-foot restraining order on him. Maybe they'll stay away. <laughs> I mean, this isn't super surprising that we would have heard some band having this happened, because if you have any group of like four to five people, odds are at least one of them is going to have, you know, differing thoughts for the other three. We saw this happen with uh, Mumford and Sons recently. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's like, sure, this makes sense. Wait, so is that like a good focus group then? One in five people (laughs) won't get the shot? I mean, I don't know if it's that dramatic. I, I would imagine that number is probably different. But um, this definitely shows you that, like, there's there's going to be your odd ones out in every every situation. Um, 
Yeah, they're making and the offspring as a band are probably making the right call here. If they want to get back in the studio and start making music, they want to feel safe doing so. If they want to go out and tour, they want to again feel safe to do so. It's a risky time still to be out there being musicians right now. Also, and a lot so, of the offspring's fan base are of the older generation now. I, sure, but also a lot of I would think that the offspring's fans are also the kind that would probably like. The, would be the ones who are getting vaccinated. They have a tendency to be a fairly progressive kind of coded band. So it's not surprising that the band would want to keep that image and be like, not want them to be associated with somebody who is potentially not getting the vaccine. Um, the, of course, the weirdest part about the story is maybe he does actually have a legitimate reason for not getting it. But I guess that the band doesn't think that that's legitimate enough or maybe that that's just a story he's making up it's really unclear and i don't want to make any assumptions here but ultimately they had to draw a line and they did uh right through the covid shot and now you know what's going to happen is that uh he's going to have to go get a job well at least the kids are all right that's anyways a, <laughs> just keep going on offspring songs i mean Made the go to keep them separated joke. I just wanted to keep going. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, um, talked about it at the beginning of the music segment, but here we are. We've made yes. it. It's time for made our it. thoughts on Billie Eilish's Happier Than Ever. Yeah, this is the big music album. Yeah, and second the biggest studio. release of the week, probably. Um, I think that the road up to this thing were, uh, was one of, I don't want to say trepidation. I think a lot of people who were fans of her first record were curious, probably, uh, as to what she would do with a second record. Also, in between then, we had the uh, Apple Music documentary uh, slash concert film that kind of talked about, had an intimate look at her creative process, as well as the aftermath of the album's release and how it affected her, her newfound fame. Um, and so there was a lot of questions about what this thing would sound like, what this thing would be. And with a name like Happier Than Ever, that kind of gives you an idea of like, this is either going to be like a victory lap or it's going to be a cynical title about how she's miserable. And on the other side of it, now that we've actually heard what this is, it's kind of neither. It's kind of both and kind of neither. But it's kind of both and it's kind of neither. It's uh, what, it's a little bit of what you like from that first album that she put out, her Grammy award-winning album, yeah. but that is expected because Phineas is also producing this thing. Right. So similar talent behind uh, behind the song there. And but for the some songwriting, yeah, is so where it's all different. For some context here, I want to rewind the tape, rewind our tape a little bit. When we talked about the debut record, uh, when we talked about when we fall asleep, where do we go? Uh, we here at the Media Boat Podcast, we're not super on big on it. We were, I think that both of us were like interested in some of the production that was going on there, thinking that some of it was interesting, but it wasn't for us. And that we felt overall, not negative necessarily, but we felt like it wasn't being, it wasn't directed to us and we felt a disconnect from it. Right, being the middle-aged white men that we are. <laughs> it was our unfortunate wake-up call to say, pop music's not for you anymore. If this is the direction that's going. 
so that's the context, but I bring that up because I went into this one thinking I would react the same way. But weirdly enough, a completely different take on this thing. I don't know where you landed on it, but I listened to this and I was like, oh, actually, I get this. I like the sound of a lot that's here. I think it's more, it's a more interesting version of Billy to me. I think that I like the songwriting, as you kind of mentioned a moment ago, better. Um, I'm not 100% sure why this one works when the first one didn't, but I came out on the other side being way into this. I really enjoyed this record. I only like half-heartedly listened to this. Hmm. And because of that, only like certain moments kind of jumped <laughs> out to me. Okay. Except for Oxycontin. That song yeah. is a yeah. goddamn jammer. <laughs> I expect to hear that one on the radio. Oxytocin. Not to be Oxytocin, confused with Oxycontin. Yes. That's very different. Yes. Oxytocin. <laughs> Whatever that Oxy song is. Yeah. <laughs> that Oxy song. That, that thing's a jammer. Um, there are a lot of good songs on here, I think. Mm -hmm more so than the previous record. I think the lyrics hit, I don't say better, but they definitely hit differently. I want to say it is built on the experience of yeah. her traveling and her winning. As the kids say, it hit different. Um, say it did hit different. No, I know it's exactly what you're getting at. So it seems like, well, and we kind of talked about this when we we're talking about the title of it, um, is that there are, there's a divide. There are so, There's a lot of songs here that are talking about her relationship with fame, very directly addressing both people who criticize her, perhaps criticize her look, her fashion choices, um, talking about the basically the, the feeling of fame, a lot of the same stuff that she brought up in the documentary that I mentioned. And then the other half are songs that are talking about her relationship with love and like whether it be relationship that she's had prior, maybe a current relationship that may be happening, maybe just like the is like the, maybe like a further big picture ideas of what it means to be in love. And so you get kind of two ends of the Billie Eilish spectrum, neither of which we saw a whole lot of in the first record. Um, in the documentary, she talks about when she's in that, when in the, they have that segment where she's being interviewed by the, uh, I believe, German radio station. Um, and in that, they're talking, the German interviewer seems fascinated by this concept of Billy creating these dreamscapes with her music, these like weird, where a lot of the music from that first record talked about like these weird dreams that she would have, these nightmares that she would have, these weird like situations that led to a lot of lyrics um, written about maybe self-harm, maybe suicidal ideation. None of that is in this record. So a lot of the stuff that I think was off-putting to me about that first that first bunch of songs is largely absent here and replaced by these more concrete set in her real life day-to-day -day stuff. And I think that maybe that's why it works on a songwriting level in a different way. Um, it's not so much about these symbolic lyrics. Here, the lyrics are mostly just Billy telling us how she feels about these subjects. And when she does go into the fantastical realm, it's not the dark one. It's 
one more about, like I said, about romance. It She almost evokes a lot of feelings of like jazz and soul standards in a lot of the slower songs. And a lot of the ballads here, she seems like she's going for like that kind of vibe, an old school kind of vibe, as opposed to a edges of pop music vibe that so much of the sound of the first record was. It's fascinating. It's definitely... I mean, I want to say it's similar to the old, to the first record, because at times it does feel like it. There are moments. But there are moments. There are moments where in the, where she kind of harkens back. I think the singles, Yeah. besides, uh, besides Your Power, uh, the rest of the singles are very much in the vein of the first record. And I think that's on purpose. In a Taylor Swift kind of move, she is front-loading like the stuff that she knows her fans will gobble up. And then maybe the rest of the album tracks are actually different. I think that's very smart of her because it's going to Trojan horse a lot of people into this album that maybe wouldn't have come if she had led with the more ballady stuff. But I think the fact that she made Your Power a single before this album's release is very telling because it means she wanted to at least give a hint about what the rest of this record is going to sound like. And that song is a pivot point, I think, where she's like saying like, yeah, this is the kind of music that I've been making, but this is the kind of music I can also make. These introspective songs about how I feel like I'm being perceived by the press and my relationship with, say, people in the music industry that are potentially using me and using other people. Um, I have the same um, thought with the Halsey record of last year. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because Halsey is also on the precipice of releasing her next record, mm -hmm. which she's also making a huge swing with. She actually put out a trailer for that IMAX movie that she's putting out. Yep. I don't know if you watched that thing. No, but I saw the poster for it. But I am fascinated with that move. And in the same kind of way, it is very much Halsey taking ownership of, of her, her whole career and being basically like, this is the kind of music I want to make and these are the kind of subjects I want to talk about. And it's really cool seeing Billy and Halsey, both very young women in this space, doing that and taking complete control. There's a quote that on, on the Apple Music, um, on, the, on an Apple Music story, I think that went out on the same day as the, as the record, that was like Billy basically saying like, she had so much time and freedom with this record, she truly feels like she made something that is her own. And that's really cool because a lot of artists don't get to do that right now in this time. And so the fact she can make this thing that's very her, is very is very welcome and very exciting for young artists. Um, that all that being said, critically, and this is very interesting to me, critically, this thing is not getting great reviews. A lot of people, I think, professionally, are looking at the first record and how much of a game changer it was, and maybe that put the bar really high for them. And so this one coming in and being a much more subtle record not taking as many risks, I think is disappointing, potentially, a lot of people. And so it's been interesting to read those takes and be like, oh, I, I guess it does have a lot of slower songs on it. I guess it does. If you're thinking about the pacing, I'm guessing it does kind of crawl along in moments. So that's a fair criticism. But I never felt that way listening to it. 
And so, yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting to see those kind of different takes. And so there is probably a percentage of the Billie Eilish convert conversion, like the people who converted by that first record that may be disappointed by this because it's not more of the same. Right. It is an hour long though. Just, just know, yeah. So. It is that. It doesn't feel like an hour. I think it goes by really fast because the to songs me themselves aren't yeah. too long. Yeah, but I, but I could understand current uh, album chart topper Olivia Rodrigo, right? Which was only a half hour, <laughs> and a lot more easier to listen to. Yeah, I think you may have some diverging, like you said, some diverging thoughts on where pop music goes from here. Yeah, it's. I think that is what makes this so interesting. Is because, and I think this is what makes it so divisive too. Is because. And a lot of the record is about this concept, right? About Billy feeling like she's now seen as this very important celebrity figure, whether she likes it or not. And that means that everything that she puts her name on is going to be dissected in a way that maybe it wouldn't be if she wasn't on this kind of upper tier of celebrity status. And so, yeah, I think you're getting these polemic takes because uh, a lot of people are expecting this to be the second coming, literally. And it's just not, I don't think there was anything that she could have done to do that. And so she's putting out this thing that she has said more or less that is a definitive statement of how she feels right now. And so, yeah, I think there's a take it or leave it kind of like moment that's happening right now. And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with Olivia Rodrigo making her very specific kind of thing as statement as well with her debut record. It's going to be interesting what happens to Billy. I think that this will cement her as a Grammy favorite. I could easily see this thing taking more Grammys. So more moments of Billy mouthing, please not me on camera. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's good. Uh, I don't think it's going to, I think some people are going to be disappointed, but I've had a complete, like this has switched this has made me team Billy in a way that I wasn't before. Um, even though that documentary gave me some pause about some aspects of her life. Um, I'll still put this as a mileage may vary just because it's sure. very diverse. Sure. But even if it's not something that you end up jiving with, I still think it's a fascinating thing that you should listen to, that you should try because whether she likes it or not, she's a very important figure in the industry right now. And I think that that means that this is going to be a fascinating listen, whether whichever side you end up falling on. Yep. So, yeah. so, I mean, we'll see it on the chart. Oh, yeah. This will be your number one next week. I think you're right. All right. And with that, is this anything else? Uh, nope. I think that was the big release last week. Right. Uh, I listened to a lot of music, a lot of old albums. Sure, yeah. A lot of that Eric Church Heart album, so. Okay. Well, I, still sticking I'll around. I'll tell you right now, that's going to probably end up on my end of the year list. There you go. Pretty good album. Alright, uh, let's move on to some video games then as we round the corner here. Yep. And we start with new releases. Including the Falconeer colon Warrior Edition for the PS4, PS5, and Switch. 
I Am Dead for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Godfall for the PS4. <laughs> Four. Yes, we're going backwards now. As a PS5 <laughs> game and Xbox Series X game, it's doing yeah. a PS4 release. It was never a PS uh, 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 Xbox Series X game. It was a PS5 exclusive, okay. notably. Uh, we also have Shadowverse for the Switch, <laughs> and everyone's favorite game, <laughs> Lawn Mowing Simulator for the yeah. Xbox Series X and the PC. You want to mow a lawn? You don't, but you don't actually want to do the physical labor required to mow a lawn. Well, I got a game for you. You want to mow famous lawns? You <laughs> don't actually want to like get charged for trespassing on some famous lawns. <laughs> yeah. Lawn mower simulator. Hell yes. Hells to the yeah. I'm gonna flip flop these because we're gonna talk about the uh, the first story a heck of a lot more. Yeah. So remember that game I bought back in April? Pokemon Snap. Hey, I remember Pokemon Snap. Yeah. Well, there's only so many Pokemon you can actually snap in that game. <laughs> Until now. <sighs> If you've run out of Pokemon to snap in new Pokemon Snap, fear not. For Nintendo has released a free update to the Nature Photography Simulator this week. Yeah. Uh, beginning this week, August 3rd, players will gain access to a handful of new areas along the and along the new scenery comes new Pokemon to take photos of. The update is also bringing in a section where players will shrink down, allowing uh, you to get an unprecedented look at some Pokemon on the scale they haven't been able to see until now. <laughs> if you've ever wanted to see Rumple from the perspective <laughs> of something half its size, well, now's your chance to do so. It's All right. a good reason for me to bring back Pokemon Snap mm -hmm. into my fold. And to get me and the doctor playing it after the Olympics, of course. Yes. Which, by the way, if we did, forgot to mention, wrap up on Friday, I believe. Okay. Uh, I think I think it's this Friday. It's only like two weeks. Yeah, ago. I think it's this week. Yeah. Um, I have one question about this, and I know you won't be able to answer this quite yet until you deep dig into the DLC. But I need to know if you can take pictures of Tropius. This is very important to me. So if you see a Tropius, let me know. I haven't know. seen a Tropius yet. Um, I know, big, he hasn't been in the game so far. But... The big um, reveal that uh, the trailer was Mew being added to the right. game, along right. with a bunch of other new Pokemon. So if I see a Tropius, I will let you know. <laughs> yes, I need to know. I need to know about Tropius. All right. Um, I'll probably download that. I'll probably end up playing it sometime, probably Monday. Sure. Uh, and have my thoughts on the new expansion next week. Sounds good. But now, our follow-up from last week. Or rather, yes, another follow-up. Fallout from last week. Yes. From Activision Blizzard. I'm so happy we're talking about this story, and yet I'm so sad we're talking about this story. Right. Yeah. So following a week and a half of controversy surrounding the, law, the California labor lawsuit, for Activision Blizzard, for its sexist workplace culture. 
Blizzard president J. Allen Brack is leaving the company to, quote, pursue new opportunities. Uh, the statement Blizzard put out buries uh, Brack's departure under the announcement that Jen O'Neill and Mike Yabara will be the new co-leaders of the company who will, quote, share responsibility for development and operational accountability for the company. End quote. O'Neill <laughs> has been acting as executive VP of development and has been part of the leadership for Diablo and Overwatch. Ibarra was the executive vice president and general manager of platform and technology at Blizzard, overseeing Battle.net, and the company's development services organizations. The statement the company put out stops short of actually giving O'Neill and Ibarra any new title, which makes it seem like Blizzard itself is missing an acting president with <laughs> Brack gone. Yeah. Note that this doesn't actually push out any of that toxic workplace culture that the lawsuit brings forward. It's just removing the figurehead. Yeah, and it is important to note that Brack was one of two people that were explicitly named by name in the lawsuit. So it makes some sense that he would feel like this would be the time to bail uh, because that's a lot of pressure um, to be like one of the only two people who are actually like identified. Um, makes sense that why he would turn tail and run. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This doesn't necessarily, you know, just... If you, what's the thing about taking out the, the snake's head is that you just got a bunch of other snakes? Yeah, uh, <laughs> the Hydra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut yeah, off one head, two more growing place. So yeah, it's, 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 no, it's not a solution for sure. It's, it's Blizzard being like, well, what can we do right now that looks like we're making changes up top? Ultimately, will it matter? We'll have to wait and see. Um, it's interesting choices here, though. A couple of interesting notes about the people that they moved up. Jen O'Neill was actually in her leader posi leadership position at Vicarious Visions, which if you remember a story reported a few months ago, was recently folded into uh, Activision to help Blizzard with uh, Diablo and some of their other projects there. So she hasn't even really been at Blizzard that long, but she has experience running a team, which is I think the important part. Um, Vicarious Visions, of course, just put out those Tony Hawk remasters. Um, Mike Ibarra, on the other hand, uh, he actually has history with Microsoft. He worked in Xbox Live for a while before he was moved to, uh, moved over to Blizzard to help with Battle.net. So he's a technology guy first and foremost. Uh, so having kind of both kind of, uh, approaches will be interesting, but yeah, there's that question about they're not calling them president. And so it does make like make you wonder whether they're going to maybe place somebody from Activision in that role down the line. Maybe they're still thinking about who is best in that position, or maybe they're just going to leave it vacant until this blows over. I don't know what their really thought process is here, but it's interesting moves nonetheless. Yeah. Um, also, even though he's leaving to pursue new opportunities, that doesn't mean that he's not getting a pretty nice severance package from him. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, you don't you don't leave as president of a company without something like that, unfortunately. Without a parachute so, of yeah, money. 
and this was the time to do it. Um, so yeah, you're right though. The first and for like the most important part about the story is that it does not mean that anything changes here. This was something that like permeated through all sorts of parts of the company. So removing leadership is not going to change much. It will take a much longer process of of changes to really make a dent. And it remains to be seen if that can happen. You can cut off the top, but you know, the roots are still within the mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they got a lot of work to do. Yep. Um, complete overhaul or overwatch. Yeah. What company are they on? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's them. That's them. <laughs> a new world at war. Craft. You could say the Diablo is in the details. <laughs> okay, anyway. Anyways, um, good luck. This story will not be over. I would hate for this to be our story of the year, but yet. Oh boy, it might be. It might be. <laughs> I mean, it was like the riot when this happened to Riot, right? That ended up being our story of the year, what, in 2018? So yeah, 2018. it could happen. So well, we'll see. It was either that or. It was riot, basically, also because of loot boxes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Did you play any games? Uh, no. Uh, I'm in kind of a holding pattern right now uh, because of I haven't played a whole lot, haven't had a whole lot of access to the PlayStation. So it's been a lot of. I jumped back into Genshin Impact to check out the 2.0 stuff, only to find out that I don't have access to the 2.0 stuff because I'm not far enough in the story. <laughs> so that happened. Uh, but yeah, I tried and I ran into a combat scenario that was giving me a hard time. So I just rage quit. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if I'm going to try again to get closer to that stuff. Cause I'm, I go, you know, up and down so hard on that game. So we'll see, but you know, nothing really besides that. Yeah. Uh, as I previously mentioned, I've been playing some Pokemon Unite. Mm -hmm. Uh, I missed a week and in that week, people got good at that game. <laughs> yeah. Got good at that game. Turns out. Um, but I need to like do the daily logins to get some more Pokemon cards and probably like eventually just pay for them. Now that people have like <laughs> data buying and trying to figure out which ones are actually good, right? I can read those and be like, hey, thank you for that. I'll go <laughs> use them now. Yeah. But it was still fun when everyone was new and fresh and trying to figure it out. Felt like I was ahead yeah. of the curve. Now I'm way behind. <laughs> I have a feeling you'll be even more behind uh, considering some something that happened today. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyways, we'll get there. Um, I mentioned it last week in new releases. And I did end up playing it. Uh, that is the new mobile game, Near Reincarnation. Uh, it's free to play, but there are bundles and microtransactions for you to use mm -hmm. should you need them <laughs> should you should you want them should you want them um it got a million dollar that million downloads within its first week so people are out there playing this unfortunately i don't know how long they're gonna be playing it for because the story is super depressing uh, of course it's near what did you expect Sunshines and rainbows? No, I was not <laughs> expecting that. But I was not expecting like each mini story to be a three act. Let me tug at your heart and tell you why everything sucks <laughs> constantly. But 
okay. First off, I gotta get this out of the way. It's a beautiful looking game. Sure. Really well done. Very reminiscent of Near Automata. It's not open world, but there's a lot to see and there's a lot to do within each one. Okay. It does at times feel like you're just going from battle to battle to battle, if that's how you want to play the game. There are other ways to play it in terms of like exploration, finding everything. But if you're just looking for the story mode and just going from battle to battle, it does provide that option of automating not only your run speed, but also your attacking. So you can just get through each story beat and basically cry while you're out of running to the next story. <laughs> okay. It's fun. I, I like it. I'm enjoying the story, even though it is sad. Sad. But then again, <laughs> that is what Nier is. You're set into this right. um, castle that they call the cage. It's a big maze. I'm waiting for it to pay off like a bird setting free in the cage. But there's a lot of cage <laughs> metaphors in here. Sure. A lot of crows and birds imagery in here as well. So part of me is like, I want to escape. But then also part of me is, because I know it's an ear game, maybe I'm in here for a reason and shouldn't escape. <laughs> uh, sort of like a um, Shadow of the Colossus type deal. Right, right. Which Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't finished it yet. Um, I just recently hit the um, you need to pay to mm. be better part. Sure. Uh, I leveled up all my characters because it's part of the basically the promotion of doing uh, pre-registering was you get all this extra coins so you can level up early. So I did that. It's fun being OP, but now I've hit that wall where I need to now level up all my other stuff my weapons and start using the loot box things to get more weapons so I can fuse them all to upgrade my ship. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that I feel is going to turn a lot of people off. But then again, it's also the part that's going to make them a whole lot of money because you need to do that in order to beat the bosses, in order to beat the battles, in order to beat all the side quests. So there is a certain wall after three levels where you hit the winter world where people will feel like I don't want to compete with this anymore. I want to continue with it. But it's a very good game. I like this game. I like the the visuals of it. I like the audio of it, the music, the sound, yeah. score of it. Very I feel like this, appealing. This is a conversation I think we've been having about a, several games now with uh, Genshin Impact, Pokemon Unite, and now this, where it's like, the game's quality is running right up against to the reality of the format that it's in. Yep. And that's such a frustrating thing where it's like, you just wish that they weren't, that these ideas were able to exist in a model that didn't feel so dirty, you know? But then again, it's a free game. Right. They but have to make money somehow. Free asterisk. asterisk. And that asterisk bears so much weight. It does. Yeah. And I've hit that level where my characters are all leveled yeah. up. So I can't level up any further. I can't right. ascend them. So I can only level up my weapons <laughs> and like fuse them. But in order to get more weapons, I need to open loot boxes to get the weapons to fuse them or 
yeah. destroy them to get more stuff or <laughs> to get more coins so I can do more loot boxes. And that's how they get you. That's how they get you. Um, obviously, I haven't beaten the story yet, but the story is mystery box. Mm-hmm. Like, huge mystery box of where you're at and who you are. But then again, that's also kind of what Nier Automata was in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. There, are, there is a side, a special side story for that Nier Automata to pull those characters into this world if you want to do that. And kind of like, because that's, I feel like, where people are jumping off. Most people will be jumping off from into this from Nier. Right. Or the more recent one, um, Replicant. Right, replicants. Well, is that what it is? Near Automata Replicant? 2.152, whatever that number yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Yeah. So. So. It's a good game for if you played that, if you like the Near series, it's really in that wheelhouse. If you haven't, though, this shouldn't be the game that you're starting with. No, no. No. Uh, pick up uh, Near Automata because one, it's cheaper now, but two, it's yeah. also a full, complete game that you yes. can get yourself invested in and not pull, start with this and then get frustrated halfway through, assuming I'm even halfway through. And I also like, believe I it's um, it's on Game Pass for those of you with Game Pass subscriptions, so that's even easier. So if cool. you like the Near World, it's a lot more of that. It's a lot more of what you love. If this is your first one going into it, caution. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You may want to start somewhere else. Sure. But yeah, super depressing, but very super well done. All right. Well, anything else? Uh, I got nothing else. All right. You know what that means? That means it's time away. to wrap it up. Thank you. For joining us for this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. We'll be back next week for another episode, as always. Let's see. Next week, we'll be talking about... You'll be talking about some Chris Young. We'll be talking about some Pokemon Snap DLC, potentially. And some The Suicide Squad. Yes, The Suicide Squad. We'll talk a little bit about that. And Um, the Olympics as well. Perhaps we'll have some surprise video game stuff for you, depending on if something um, uh, that's in... Yeah, if something is in process, uh, happens like it should. I don't see why it wouldn't. Uh, but yeah, we might have some feedback about that next week. Uh, other than that, I think, yeah, that's what we'll have to look forward to. You can, of course, catch the video versions of our podcast on YouTube.com. Search Media Boat Podcast. And you won't find that pesky media boat that interrupted the race. You will find us uh, where you can watch all our videos, uh, versions of our podcasts. If you'd rather listen to it, because you don't want to look at our faces, hey, some people, maybe you don't. You can listen to us in all sorts of podcast services, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. So check that out. You can also see us in written form in social media services like Twitter, where we're at MediaVoteCast, Facebook, Podcast. Just pop that in the search window and find our page on mediabopodcast.com and if you have questions, comments, feedback, anything you want to say to us, you can email us directly at mediabopodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for joining us. 
Uh, we'll be back next week for more, so stay tuned. In the meantime, have a good week. We'll be back next week with more news, more thoughts, for sure. Yes. And yes. more fun times. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye.